Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with Lee Button and me, Chris Bright. Thinking Church exists to help your church thrive by helping you think through key strategic topics of church life. Each week we'll be tackling a different subject of church life and we'll be joined by some special guests along the way. So if you like this podcast, why not give us a like, give us a rating and give us a review as well. So without further ado, get your thinking caps on and let's get on with this week's episode. So I was um, so I was producing the last podcast, which was the one where we talk about disruptive ideas. And in the midst of us talking about disruptive ideas, there was disruptive noises <laughs> definitely coming from your side. So I think you had, you know, we, we're both working from home obviously i'm just right word now right was it was it something like coherent or legible that could actually be made out to what it is or is it just noise because this this is where embarrassment can come in well no it was definitely a human sound i would definitely say it sounded like your son right that's that's probably true <laughs> well that's okay that's fine you know this is part of this is a part of life you know we're 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 at home and the kids are at home because, you know, because, because, you know, well, he's that's how too young to go to school. <laughs> too young to go to school. That would be part of it. And, um, and so, you know, that, you know, kids aren't generally, they're not generally quiet, are they? So mine aren't. So. Nor should they be actually. No, it's a good point. Yes. I, I, I am all for that kind of, uh, noise and stuff. It is. It is also to be expected. Um, but we, we should note now that we are here on a holiday. Um, yes, good. Friday. So we we probably have got all the noises yes. in the background somewhere. Yeah, that's right. So is yeah, we're recording this on Good Friday, and you know this is a it's a good day to to record it. We've got a little bit of time in the morning, so we thought let's go. Just, for I don't know. I've, I've had hot cross on buns for breakfast. No, yeah. Well, I, I just had a croissant for breakfast, and um, it's not enough. No, no, I did have something else with mine. But... It was in the rush of um, I was at Morrison's just before coming here, just to get a few bits because uh, my dear wife needs to make a cheesecake, and um, and in doing so, um, I thought I need some breakfast. I got to do a podcast at nine. And so I just picked up some croissants and I haven't, you know, I haven't even been able to heat up the croissant, which I think is the ultimate wrong. The ultimate wrong in the, in the, you know, the breakfast world is not having warm croissants. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. So yeah, I, I quite like croissants more savory than sweet as well. So I like to put cheese and ham in them. Oh, I do um, love a cheese and ham croissant. Yes. Yeah. And then just like, way. just warm enough. It doesn't have to be like, you know, like toasted or anything like that. Just, just warm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's go. Let's face it, good coffee, but we we talk about that often enough. And uh, yes. yeah, here are you rushing around, getting here for nine, um, whereas you forget that I am generally uh, late, even though this is done in my own house. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we were talking about breakfast, and maybe this leads us into a good segue into the into the in, into the show today because we're we're getting back to basics, and. Um, 
and I think this is going to be a, it's be an interesting one because actually a lot of this is stuff that I'm going to be finding out because whilst you, Lee, would say this is back to basics, I would say this is a fun exercise in learning new stuff that I really don't have a lot of knowledge about. So we're going to be getting into stuff like governance, trustees, processes, minutes, legal structures, back office support. It's all that kind of stuff that, I mean, I, I kind of sit more on the ministry side of things. It's all that stuff I just trust gets done. But for many churches, you know, they are both having to, they have to do both sides of things. And, yeah. um, and that means with that- small, you, With small teams where it's not always their expertise. And yeah. sometimes, and this is the thing. So even this week, I've had two separate conversations with churches who've gone to do something and then been kind of denied, as it were, at the last minute. And now the process to unpick that and do what they need to do is going to be lengthy and it delays things. And I'm like, it's not, you know, not knowing, you could say that not knowing isn't an excuse, but actually, you know what, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not down for that. I'm like, the, these things don't, there isn't necessarily a checklist on just what to go through and what's required or even some of the things that you need to think about. So it's, uh, we get carried away with the why we're doing it. Um, we do put in place things like, you know, the, the mission of what we're doing and the vision. And yeah, you know, we we really strap up those areas of of operating. But, you know, this other stuff, it's it's easy to miss. I think that's the other thing. Or it, it you instantly think that it's not your bag. So it doesn't it doesn't quite always get the attention that it needs. So yeah, that that's that's where we've been. So we've got a couple of probably live examples of how to talk about it and what the impact can be as well. Yeah. Well I'm looking forward to learning some more things on this because I'm definitely in a place where I need to upskill on this. And so this is gonna be this is gonna be good. This is gonna be fun. Um let's get into this. Okay, let's start with the first area. Um governance. Right. What so let's start with what what is governance and why should I care? So this this comes back down to if I mean, predominantly in the in the UK and more so when we talk about England and Wales. Okay, so there's also the split in how things are set up in this country. But if you're starting a church, the likelihood is you are going to need to register as a charity. Okay, now some of the larger denominations, if you are Anglican. Baptist, Methodist, there is some structure around you about what that looks like. Um, and typically they are also older and some of this is in place from a central perspective and is done at scale. But there are people launching, planting and doing things from scratch. And if you're going to be a church, you're going to probably need to register with the Charity Commission. And governance is this, I don't say minimum legal requirement that you need to adhere to, to be recognised as a legal entity and the things that you need to have in place to say that you have got controls over how you operate and for how you're going to outwork what you do. It's the thing by which you can be held to account. And it even includes your objectives, which is usually advancement of faith, relief of poverty, um, you know, gifts and giving, so you can give some money away, things like that. 
But even then, looking at like what you want to do and finding matching objectives, there's quite a set you can pick from. We don't invent these. So you try to put your stuff under ones that you can select from the charity commission forms. Um, and But it leads on to other things. It covers how you will run, who's going to oversee it. This is where trustees come in. We can even get down to how you rotate trustees. Um, and it's kind of like the rules by which you're going to play. That's what it is. It's the rules by which you'll operate. And there are templates. And, you know, this is, isn't even really a costly exercise. But here's a common one that I've encountered in the last 12 months. In governing documents, some churches hadn't got uh, a line to say that they could run their trustee meetings uh, virtually. Okay. They were, they were typically, so some of these are older constitutions, older governing documents that went back where it was about in person. Now, obviously, you can meet virtually and do all of that. And let me just say as well that if you haven't got that line in and you've been meeting, all bets have been off really during COVID. So don't panic. Um, but you probably want to minute something and get that updated to recognise that this is the world that we're in. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's little things like that. And even like this week, we had one about that touched on banking. And we've even had other ones that have touched on, can we own a building? And who's responsible? And how do we do it? And what name would it be in? And where does liability lie? And it's all those things that we get carried away in the moment of the project and what we're actually about to do. And then we find out that now there's some legal thing that we have to look at. And oh, my word, it, it just it can make the walls close in at that moment in time when you've all been pushing ahead it's all seemed happy and now you're going to get an additional bill to update something um that that potentially could have been avoided now you know we have to change documentation over time because new things happen so don't be scared of changing it either but i think lots of people they do it once it gets put on a shelf we forget about it the trustees cycle through somebody new comes in and we've never looked at it and now we don't even know what's in it. So I think it's worthwhile having it come out every so often and having a check through, keeping regular contact with the solicitor about what you want to do um, and just checking off that it's fit for purpose. Um, and that's, you know, what a dry subject, but actually critical if you want to operate. Yeah. And, and like I say, so the charity commission um, that we're primarily dealing with here would be England and Wales. Okay. And if you're in Ireland or Scotland, there are um, different charity bodies that oversee um, that, that setup. But principle in place, they're very, very similar. But um, I think our focus here would predominantly be England and Wales. But this, you know, this, this applies wherever you are, really. Okay, great. Okay, let's let's move on to. Um, have you touched on the governing document yet? Have we talked about that? Yeah. So the, the governing document is the bit that that is the rules by which you play. So like, how many trustees? Who rotates? Can you remunerate a trustee? So if you're senior leader of the church, the pastor, 
is also a trustee, but you want to pay him, have you got a remuneration line in there so that you can pay your trustee? Uh, because he is a trustee, but he's also employed. So you want to be able to pay him. Like, is that is that allowed? Um, and it, it, it's that kind of thing that you're, you're looking at in the governing document. So yeah, specifically around what, what you're going to do, where you're going to do it, who's going to do it, and then going into some details about which, how you'll run meetings, how you'll call order, what you'll do with um, conflict and disputes. And is there a casting vote? Who will chair? Um, and even stating who you're banking with and who your um, solicitors are um, on that document. So it, it's the all-encompassing one, the legal piece that makes you a actual entity recognised where you are. Um, but it, it holds the rules by which you do stuff. And that's where if you're going to a bank and you want to borrow or you're looking at doing something new, they're probably likely going to need to see a copy of this to see that it matches up with what you're asking for, which again is one of the situations I've encountered recently where the bank saw the governing document and went, we can't do that. Your document doesn't allow it. And that was a surprise to everybody involved and now puts a project back by several months um, to, to sort something out, which, you know, it's time-based more than costly, but it's something yeah. that also could have been avoided or known up front. Right. Okay. Okay, great. Let's let's then move on to um have we have we hit on trustees? Do we, should we go trustees or should we go banking next? Let's so let's let's just quickly um check on the trustees, right? So the trustees, like we've just said about remunerating them, we've said about who they are and what they're you know what 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 they're gonna do. But here's one for you. It's the, it's the rotation of trustees and how many terms they can serve. So usually it will give you, you know, a number of years. And, you know, this will vary because, you know, you can basically write in whatever you want, but there are some standards and expectations, okay? Your trustees should be rotating or being re-elected. And there should be a maximum number of terms that people can serve generally you, you shouldn't really be able to go to somewhere and find that a trustee has been in place forever. They they should have rotated out. There should have been gaps. People can come back, but you need to have that bit set up. Because again, do you want to be held to account for like, are you operating like you say you will operate? I think that's, you know, that's, that's, that's number one on the, you know, do we keep our word on, on what we're doing? rather than, you know, somebody's just been in forever, especially if that person is the employed person, the senior leader, if they are on your trustee board, are you allowing that they they keep their seat? Is that all written in? Um, so, yeah, you probably want to look at that. That's the trustee bit. Again, though, there's a secondary piece with trustees. Give them roles and responsibilities and make sure that they know what they're getting involved in. Make sure that they know what they're signing up to. And I'd always suggest that, you know, there's some minimum things, but it depends on how you're set up and what you're doing. But, you know, the minimum is, you know, uh, a trustee that someone that will chair, someone responsible for, you know, the, the, the treasurer or finance trustee, but some roles and responsibilities around their expectations. You'll generally then have something like risk. And depending on the size, that risk could cover safeguarding HR and, you know, be all encompassing. Or you might split it out that you've actually got a risk trustee and a safeguarding trustee and an HR trustee, particularly if you've got larger scale employment um, or contracts in place. But I always recommend 
If you've got somebody that represents uh, local context, someone that brings specific knowledge about where your church operates and the projects and the things that you do, um, and you know, you might want to have other people with specific responsibilities. Sometimes we get into you know the CSR, you know, corporate sustain corporate sustainability and responsibility, that kind of thing, um, or um, marketing, PR. You know, and the bigger you are and the more stuff you do, you might need other roles in that trustee board to cover to cover what you've got going on. Um, and you know, if you've gone all technical, having somebody on the trustee board that you know understands contracts or licensing could be a great addition but do they know what they're getting involved in do they have a clear role description you don't just want your mates around that table you don't want yes men around that table we touched on this in the podcast called trustees um yes like actually this is about you want people who can bring appropriate challenge to what's going on and actually help you articulate what you want to do better these are people who are helping you shape your organization shape your church shape the working so you know and ultimately their job is to see whether you are legal are we doing what we say we are doing so put somebody in get that expertise and even if they don't carry that expertise wholly themselves do they know where to go and get it so that's the other thing you can have subgroups you can put stuff out i've seen them have you know this trustee is going to be responsible for a building project and then you have a little subgroup perfect that is great but you still might need then to talk to an architect or an electrician or somebody and get specialist advice. Um, but as long as you know the routes that that's coming in and how it's reported, and then regular meetings and track those risks, that's that's the one about, yeah, you know, the, the, the kind of like the trustee side of it. Sometimes forgotten because we get people in and we get used to them, but please be clear about what roles and expectations you have of them and how long they're going to do it for. Don't expect people to come in and not know a way out. Uh, you know, that's that's a biggie for me. Okay, let's move on to banking. What do we need to know about banking? Um, why is that? I mean, obviously, you need to have a bank and you've got to put money somewhere. Uh, but beyond the fact that, you know, it's a bank account where money goes, what else do we need to know about banking? First off, your bank is a great trust signal to how you operate, okay, and who you've got and who you bank with especially if people are giving and donating to you. So, you know, we'll touch on the finance side of it and the processes separately about the transparency and reporting and, you know, annual accounts and budgeting and those kind of things. Most charities, so most churches, need some level of accountability around we handle finance. This is, this is a given. So we'll all be familiar with uh, dual signatories, okay, which back in the day, and I say back in the day, as recently as Thursday, um, <laughs> people people still pay by cheque. And I was working with a church and they're paying by cheque because they physically have to get two signatures for the cheque to work. They went for online banking, but the online banking offered with their account didn't allow for dual sign-off. So right. they couldn't move to online banking. Now imagine what a pain that has been <laughs> this last 12 yeah. months. Okay. Yeah. Especially if you've got a, an older group who are responsible and they're more likely then to be in any of the categories that have shielded or, you know, we've been in lockdown or travel has been harder or any number of things. Okay. 
So there's been lots of delays <clears throat> as a result. And now they're stuck that they went to get online banking and they'd put in an application and the bank came back and said no, because your governing document states that in your banking that you need dual authorization and a kind of like a, a chain uh, so that you know you can do things. So check that your banking is fit for purpose as well for what you need to do and that you have the appropriate measures and controls in place to allow you to do what you need to do. Now, it's an odd one because if you've got great internal financial controls and you're employing a finance administrator, you might only need the, you know, this person can make payments, you know, one signatory for payments up to this amount and it covers 90% of what you do. And because payroll is an expected expense every month, we don't need to get dual sign-off on that because we've committed to it, budgeted for it. It's on the risk register and we know about it. Are you appropriately set up and do you even know what you've got? That's the thing. So before this becomes a surprise and if you're moving away and you're looking at what you want to do, does everything you've got match? Like how you want to bank and how you want to do it? Does your internal process document the way that you want these are some things that, like I said, it's about building trust. And if anybody came and said, hey, hey, if you, I say that if anybody came, they probably won't. But the trustee commission could drop in at any point and say, hey, we want to see some sample policies and processes. And we want to see your governing document. We want to check that you're doing what you're doing the way that you say you will do it. Can we have a look? We should live like beyond reproach on all of those kind of things as churches. Yeah. We should know what that stuff is. And if anybody, even congregationally, somebody said, hey, can I ask about how this is processed and how this is worked? Like, I don't think we need to um, hide any of that away. In fact, I would be really much more for transparency of showing people how well we do stuff and the standard we set for ourselves and just the knowing so making sure that your, you know, your banking procedures and policies all match up with how you handle giving and data protection, but then that your banking and the use of cards and doing expenses and that, you know, that if I was in a church setting, that my expenses aren't approved and signed off by my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you've got related people on your trustee board, because you often have a husband and wife on a trustee board if they're also the senior leader. That's, you know, that's not uncommon or they might be remunerated. But, you know, have you thought about how you handle that and take away, Can you have you got enough people to have a vote on some of those matters without the, um, you know, the interested party being involved? It's those little things we need to think through. And it's very, very easy that, you know, if you've only got a few trustees and one of them leaves or something happens, you know, and, you know, not uncommon when you've only got a small trustee board, you can be left where you've only got related members and you need to act quickly. Like, do you know appropriately how to minute that, document that, and do something about it? I know we're drifting slightly from banking, and it started with, like, you know, the signatories. But if you've got bank accounts, are your trustees also down as signatories at the bank? You know, is it up to date? Or are you going to pop into the bank to change a mandate and realise that you've never updated the trustees there and now you can't update the mandate? And now you've got to have an awkward conversation with somebody that left and it was maybe under a cloud. You know, it can make things difficult. So you need to keep these things up to date as and when they happen. Have them as standing agenda items at your trustee meetings. Put them in your risk register and know that you're handling this stuff. It seems like an absolute pain. But honestly, if you've got this down and it's routine and you know that every 
March, we look at this and three times a year, we look at this. It will end up being a couple of minutes on the agenda and you'll be through and done. Whereas actually, if you get hit with a problem, you could be spending months, it could cost you money, it could be awkward, and it can cause problems and delay things. So, you know, it's it all comes down to how well we document stuff. Um, but don't let it drop off the agenda. Have them as standing action items to look at. Yeah, I, I think that's really good. It reminds me of, um, you know, whenever you start a business, there's there's all of these other elements. You know, you want to do the job of what the business does, and um, and but then what you realise is you have all the finance things to do, and you've got all of the, you know, the legal stuff to do, and sometimes you've you got to do a lot of you know sales and marketing and all that kind of stuff. The stuff that you don't really want to do, but you've got to do them. And it's the same when starting a church. Or if you're in a small church, you've still got all of these responsibilities that they have to be done. It reminds me of a book. Uh, is it The E-Myth Revisited? I haven't read that book in a few years. Yes, kind of got, I remember that book. But it kind of goes into the fact that when, you know, this is kind of a fable about this lady that starts a pie business. Um, you know it's a fable because it's about a pie business. And um, and what happens is is that she what she realizes is that she just wants to make pies. And, you know, you, let's just change that analogy to we just want to do ministry. And and in reality, what, what she had was she had all these other things like, you know, finance and, you know, uh, payroll and all these different things. Insurance. And she didn't want to do it. Yeah, insurance, <laughs> yeah. And all those kind of things. And this is all the kind of stuff that we don't want to do. But when you're, you know, if you're a church plant and you're starting out, then, you know, it's not like you can just sort of hand this stuff off to people. Uh, that oftentimes it is you are doing it and you're going to have to make sure yep. it gets done and it's just it's carving out that time that you know if you're you know if you've got if you've got the luxury of having uh time in your week to put towards you know that you're paid to be a, a employee of the church then that's great but you're gonna have to spend time in that week to put towards those kind of things until you grow to the, the level where you can have people specifically yeah. to look after these things. and like i said i think it comes from a time that I think some churches were really closed and um, had quite hierarchical, I'd even add towards more like command and control over certain things of how they operated. That's not how things work in the modern day. We are much more transparent, much more open. If we think about the position of where the church is and where trust has been lost, um, and I talk about, you know, like media representation mostly about, you know, people's view of the church. Yeah. We we need to have a mentality a bit more like, you know, like the challenger banks, you know, like the app banks, like your Monzos and Starlings and stuff like that. If you if you look at how they're doing stuff, they've got um they've got uh they've got this kind of um like online roadmaps. And, yes, yeah. you know, better transparency and how they do stuff and policies and procedures that you can actually view. Like, I mean, this is, you know, so what, what are they doing? Well, they're trying to look transparent. Um, they are transparent, but they're trying to look like they're operating with, you know, good, good principles, things in place. Um, and that level of openness that kind of builds relationally with its 
customers who are, who are actually viewed a lot more like members. And I'm like, actually, church should just, you know, everything we do, policies, procedures, stuff that we do, who we pay. You know, I'm not saying like how much we pay them, but who we pay and what we get and roles and descriptions and the trustee board and who does what and what responsibilities lie. Why, why can't some of that just be public? Like, I think like, I think hiding it away under suspicion already um I, I, th- I think there's a there's a lot there's a lot that we could reinvent in this area this is another disruption thing i'd like you know positioning a church to look more like you know a challenger bank you know we're not a challenger church up against other churches but actually against perception this is yeah. about us you know showing to people that we're, we're genuine and actually this is a thing that we want in our lives and how we operate and you know if we run businesses what we stand for how does it work what does it look like uh there's just there's just some borrowing and some learning that we could have in those areas that i think breaks down barriers for people who aren't in church and how they will now engage with this going forward that, that you know that that's big and especially if your church does something or has a level of um being known within the community or if you're kind of like known and it looks more like a club and something separate it's breaking down those barriers so yeah i'm I'm all for transparency and having things on the website and open roadmaps and what projects do and where money goes why hide it like you know it's you know report um you know we don't lose out i think it's i think it's a good thing yeah, great. Well, I think what we've done here is we've gone through banking and we've probably gone through number four, which is processes as well. So should we move on to documentation? Um, what documentation do we need? What what documents do I need if I'm starting Everything. Write down all the things. Like, if you're doing it, make sure you've got written record that you've done it. Right, like, okay. so if you, talk about, if you talk about something and it's decisional, document the date, who was there, what was said, what was agreed, by when and by whom, and record it. Okay, so like document everything so that you've got something to refer to. If the wheels come off, if someone gets hit by a bus, if the charity commission come knocking, if the bank need information, if someone wants to fund you, make sure that you've got documentation at every stage about everything so that you know exactly where you're at and what was agreed, so you've got a reference. And I'll go back, we use this phrase all the time. The more things that are documented, the less you will ever need to refer to them. Because you've always got that comfortable backstop that actually we all know what we're working from. This goes for job descriptions, roles and responsibilities, contracts that are in place. If they're actually very clear and define everything and all of the steps and who does what, where accountability lies, what we expect from you, what things are okay, what things are not okay, document the lot, have it agreed, get signatories, date stamp it all, know where it sits and store it appropriately. And online is fine. Make sure your governing document allows for that. And, you know, all of these things, get it all in place. And then if anybody ever has a disagreement or somebody wants to know something or someone says, well, I gave that money and it went on this and I didn't know that that's where it's going to go. You can go, actually, there was an agreement in place and this is what was said. This is what's minuted. Look, it says here, black and white, this is what we're sticking to, that you can pull it out. 
the thing is, is that anybody without documentation, if they get challenged, you've got nothing. Whereas if you've got it all there, it's it's it it's, it makes things easier. It's a great habit to have in place. Document everything. So especially if you're starting up and you're and you're brand new, who spoke to who and when? When did we submit to the charity commission? When did we get our application bank? How many trustees are there at the bank signed on as signatories? Who's going to process payroll? Have like literally have it all minuted and all documented, store it appropriately, check it thoroughly, and just ensure that all of those things are in place. And the more that things are documented, I'd pretty much guarantee the less you'll ever have to refer to it because it just becomes that comfortable backstop to everything that we're doing. Okay, well, that gives us a great opportunity to. Get I've just into... covered minutes as well there, didn't I? Well, I was going to say <laughs> minutes is a good thing, but like you know, because I listen to that and I think, okay, that sounds like a lot of red tape. So how can we do that in a way that is is quick, keeps us agile, stops the you know? Because for me, I'm the, what I'm worried about, and I'm sure what church leaders that are listening to this are worried about is, isn't that just going to slow everything down? I know it's the thing that's got to be done, but is there a way that this can be done? quickly because if you know if you're spending all your time just minuting stuff and minuting meetings and documenting everything you know it's like the old you know you know the um you know the cop shows where they spend they spend all their time you know you know i can't i don't want to go out and arrest someone because i'm gonna have to type it all up kind of thing it, it it feels a bit like that and so how can we you know i i think I and probably everyone else understands that documentation is necessary and good, but how can we avoid it slowing us down? And do it more regularly. Don't leave it all to be done at one meeting when you meet. Do it as you go. Make it a habit. I think it's like anything. It's probably more, I, I'd liken it closer to like how you how you build up um, any kind of capacity to do it. It's like going for a run. Uh, you know, the first time I went out and did a run, um, I didn't get that far and I was quite slow. And now I go out and I can run quite far in less time. And that's like documenting things. I think the more you get into it and the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. You're building, you're kind of building muscle for it in, in one sense. So look, notes, minutes, like, we do things on email. It's like, save the email. Like if something's just been agreed, it's got a record with dates and names in it. It's like, you know, file it somewhere, um, print it, or save it as a PDF and put it down. As long as there's a chain and you've stuck to your documentation and, you know, don't make a financial decision without the financial people involved. If your governing document says you can't, like that's what this is there for, where it, it minimizes risk. and it, it's not the pain that it seems to do this preemptively than to encounter a problem where you haven't got it in place. Then you've got an issue. And I think, you know, the risk and the time and the finance that can go into sorting something if stuff isn't documented is so much greater 
and don't think you're exempt from encountering problems because you're a church. That's naive. You know, people do end up with employment issues, tribunals. People do end up with people leaving. People do end up with financial things or people that are, you know, given and ask. And like I said, you can get tapped up by the charity commission who might ask you something or want something or a day when you do have to have an audit. Do you know what I mean? So it'd be like, you know, if you've done gift aid and you haven't kept the paperwork, well, you, you shouldn't be trusted to receive the gift aid back if you can't keep the paperwork up to date. It's it's not, it's it's necessary in what we do. But actually, I think you minimise it by doing it regularly and keeping on top of it. Um, and the administration, I think, is very, very important. But, you know, I'm self-employed, you're self-employed. I have to keep on top of admin when I leave it all till a year end, it's a pain. If I'm doing it a bit weekly and putting my expenses through, it's 15 minutes that I don't particularly enjoy, but I can chunk that time and tie it to another thing, create habit stacking, use some very, you know, like James Clear and his Atomic Habits, find ways to put admin in place that helps you build it and make it easier and more comfortable to do, that it becomes a good habit. Um, and yeah, there's generally some people around you as well who will always help administratively. It's, it's a thing that people can do. So, yeah, you know, do it often, keep it small, don't make a big deal of it, talk about it positively. So don't like say, oh, we've got to get the admin done. It's like, no, we're doing the admin because we're minimising the risk. It's allowing us to do what we need to do. Talk about it positively. And that's, the, yeah, I'd, I'd stick to that. Regular, minimise it, keep positive about it. Great. It, it will save you heartache in the future, trust me. Okay, brilliant. Let's move on to number seven on my list. If, uh, we've gone through seven, very six very quickly. So seven, it's uh, legal structure. What do we need to know about legal structure? So this is about, well, really, what do you want to do? And it, it ties back a bit to your governing document, okay? But if you're setting up, what structure do you need to do what you need to do? So in, you know, we can, you know, you can be a and just a, a charity and there's trusts and there's um, a uh, charitably incorporated organisation, CIO, which is the kind of um, a, a more modern structure. And there's two versions of that as well. There's one with members and one not with members. Um, and then you can have companies limited by guarantee with charity status, which is getting a little bit more old fashioned, but um, that was more to do with if you had assets. So if you own buildings and had, trading and stuff like that or you can actually you can still have trading entities work out what you want to do and take legal advice so that you've got the appropriate model for what you want to do um so you know for my own church when we were starting up we wanted the lightest most flexible model we didn't own a building we're just going to go out we're renting space technically that made us a fellowship not a church because some peculiar thing where being a church was about the building not the people in terms of like a, a a legal way of talking about it so we were recognized as a fellowship um and i mean that was a technicality on some other side of it less to do with this but so we we incorporated got got the church done used a cio very simple um got it going as light as possible um minimum number of objectives to do what we need to do like the thing flew through registration process because it was light and easy and simple, allowed us to meet, allowed us to preach, allowed us to 
run activities and help people and give money away. We didn't need much more than that, um, but it, it was appropriate. But if we'd have picked something else, we could have had a lengthy process, more costly. But like, get this is where you get get some guidance, get some advice. There's people out there. So we have some solicitors that we use regularly that we really, really like. Um, but I, I'd, I'd suggest that uh, there's people out there that are like uh, stewardship um, who are very good on, you know, uh, defining what these things are. Uh, you know, this is this is work we can help you prepare for, but we'd still probably pass you down the kind of like stewardship routes who've got packages that allow you to do this for like, you know, one cost, fixed fee, get things through and, and, and set up if you're starting. Um, if you're already going and you need, need the help, we've got solicitors we can refer you to and specialists on kind of like, you know, small, medium and large scale. So from your individual who works on it through to, you know, large organisations who can help you with everything from um, legal setup or even 2P if you've got to transfer staff and all these kind of like complicated things that creep in. But picking the legal structure is, what do you want to do? Do you own anything? Are you going to employ? And how much money have you got? And what do you think? Like, you know, we say turnover, you know, like, what is it going to be? We need some kind of business planning in there as well. And that allows us to pick the appropriate legal structure. But you want, I'm going to say, like, the, the minimum amount of structure to make you viable that allows you to do what you want to do with enough flexibility to adapt because you are probably going to course correct slightly over the next couple of years if you're starting out. So you don't want to tie yourself to something so rigid that you don't create space um, to get the growth or new things that you might want to do. And don't just think that the catch-all in your governing document of um, and anything that the trustees from time to time shall see fit, right, as, a, as your catch-all for things. If you start doing something under that banner, eventually you need to write it in as an objective. You can't just put everything under that, anything that we see fit kind of um, catch-all. If you're doing it regularly, you need to start making that an objective. So have you got a structure that allows for it? And, you know, if you're starting out, I'd still highly recommend looking at CIO as the as a, as a, as a preferred option. Um, but if you've got, like, lots and lots of property or you've got trade or you're going to do something, the company limited by guarantee routes and charity status may be more appropriate for you. But that's one. Talk to us. We'll direct you. We've got links to specialists who can help advise on this. Um, I'd also say don't go to a solicitor with a blank sheet and say, we don't know what we're doing. Can you help us? Uh, that can be costly. Help people to get people in to help you define the brief. So you've got some options and you've got the guidance before you start that route. And then you'll make better decisions. Okay, that's really good. That's really helpful on the, the legal structure route. And obviously, you know, if you need any advice or help, um, we can help or we can pass you off to people who can give specialist advice and help uh, where needed. And that's the, you know, that's what we what we aim to do is just to provide strategic help where, where we can and where we need to, you know, where things need to be, you know, more specialist help, then we'll, we'll pass you there. And that's all good. Okay, let's go on to number eight, the last one as well. Um, 
back office appropriate for what you need? So what what is what do you mean by back office, and what what is appropriate for what you need? So, I mean, we touched on banking a little bit, okay, earlier. So banking would also be part of back office, right? I'm I'm talking things here now, like your software, email, website, the things that you're doing, like. And again, some of these are trust signals, but you know, in this day and age, we need to consider data protection. GDPR has been a thing over recent years. We need to know where our data is. Um, you know, gone are the days of just running your church email on somebody's, you know, you know, Minister Smith1278 at AOL.com. Let's not, let's not do that kind of thing anymore. You know, owning a domain name, having things in place, uh, a good system for email pay for this stuff and do it right it's another backstop it gives you backup it gives you access to the software to do what you need to do even if that's just like you know office documentation and spreadsheets but the email uh, retention of email if people come if you've been discussing things and then people like say can you show me all the emails about this topic you know it's that kind of thing um but even then down to uh, how are we doing communications? How are we chatting and keeping up to our team? Talking to a church this week, they were like, you know, our people no longer want to use Facebook Messenger for the chat, back office mm-hmm. chat for our church teams. I'm like, I'm not surprised in the slightest. You know, I don't, I can see why people are turning off things like that. But because they've turned off Facebook, they were also moving away from Messenger, uh, WhatsApp. So, um, and they were like, you know, WhatsApp doesn't scale. It doesn't do what we need to do. It was like, so we were looking at the, you know, they were starting looking at other like options for managing communications. And I'm like, you know, you need, but if you're going to do something from that point of view, from a central place, you need some central management. You need to be able to manage the users. You, you want it to, uh, you want to be able to like allow people in. You want to be able to take people out if people move on, but you also want some degree of you know, rules, policies, processes, responsibilities around it and what's going on. I actually found a really, really good tool called um, Guild, which is a, a UK-specific tool. Um, I had central control, management of users, policies, procedures, time blocking and all sorts of things. Um, kind of much like a, a WhatsApp and Slack kind of crossover, but with, you know, GDPR and data protection from a UK-centric perspective at its at its core. But like, if you've already put in Office 365, you've got email, you've got Microsoft Teams, you've got Planner, you've got Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and all the rest of it. And that's maybe where we want to be. Um, charity pricing, if you've got a charity number, makes it really cheap. Um, personally, I've tried to shy away from things like G Suite and the Google range of products. Um, I think that, that, that was more, it's not that they're not fit for purpose, it's just back at the time, uh, early early doors on GDPR stuff. I, I wasn't getting all the answers I wanted on that. So we were looking more at 365. But look, the charity licensing using 365 makes it cheap. Uh, but yeah, what back office do you need? How are you handling giving and donors? How are you handling gift aid? Do you want church suite? Do you want expense plus? Do you want, um, you know, free agent for managing your banking and or QuickBooks? Uh, you know, what applications do you need in place that are going to make the administration and the documentation easy? Genuinely, stop using free stuff because that makes, you know, it's costing you somewhere else. 
pay for things that do the job and do it right and put things in right that do it right once and well. You know, we don't want to, you know, we went for a system here. It wasn't quite right. Two years down the line, we're having to change it. There's a huge cost to that kind of change. So think about this up front, invest appropriately, find things that will scale with you. Um, and also things that have got support. I found that there are even IT companies out there that because of the deals that they get on licensing things like Microsoft 365, that when you pay them, other than a small setup fee, once it's in place, they look after all of the help desk support for all of your users on it at the same price that I can pay for that myself. So don't shy away from using external companies to put these things in place for you. Um, I mean, like even just by example, with, with Microsoft 365, we're looking at, what did we have? Five, five users was just under 50 quid a month, fully supported. Like it seems, but, you know, it fits, it's appropriate, covers off the documentation I expect, gives us loads of storage, loads of ability to share. There are other things out there. That's just an example. But chat amongst your team, find out what you need, and don't shy away from like, actually, if you find that you're always having to reset someone's password, get some support contracts in place. Do you need phones? Do you need uh, accounting software? How are you managing the expenses? How do you scan receipts? Where do you store stuff? What's What needs to be in place? Like this probably is a bit more of a check, check sheet that you can go through. But think about it up front. Do it once, do it well. Um, and that's that's kind of like, you know, the, the advice line on it, do it once, do it well, but, you know, make sure it's appropriate for what you want to achieve. Um, don't get stuck. In fact, I think we touched on this in one of the early podcasts about uh, communications where we saw a church using WhatsApp and then they added the congregation to it and went from like 20 users to like 200 <laughs> users. And it just didn't work. Like, it, you know, it falls over instantly when people are like, where is anything? It's like, yeah, it's unmanageable. Um, so it's, you know, it's those unexpected things that crop up as well when you start using it. But like, yeah, think it through, have a chat. I mean, that, you know, it doesn't take much time to go through that and and, and pick an appropriate tool, uh, but know why you're going to do it as well and what you want to get from it. Yeah, I think so. Definitely, you know, having used WhatsApp in a church context is definitely the the Wild West. It's, you know, it's a lawless environment of a barren wasteland of communications. And it's just, you know, it's not scalable. It's, you know, it's fine for, you know, between friends, you know, and that's what it was designed for. It was never designed for organizations to be managing yeah. internal communications with. Never meant for that. And it just does not work. It doesn't scale. You can't keep a track of things. You can't keep a track of conversations. You can't keep a track of who's in which groups. It's just all those kind of things you need to have scalability on. And it's the same with all of your other systems as well you know it's much better to think about a 365 where you've got teams then you can got you've got plugins with teams and that you can link things together better and it's just and now thankfully i mean that what because i used teams years ago and I, I wasn't a big fan but it's improved so much now that it's now a very very usable user-friendly thing on your phone which i think is the big thing because whatever you do and it's worth thinking about that when you're thinking about your, your back office solutions. Whatever you do, especially when you're using volunteers, if you want them to be putting in, you know, expenses, think about what works on phones. If it works on a phone, 
it will work everywhere else. And that's the best way to think of it because otherwise you'll just get you'll just get stuck in trying to put in a solution. I remember we tried to use one at our church where it was basically like it's it's like a project management software, but it was almost like a a, a kind of a form of a spreadsheet, and it, you just couldn't open it on your phone, and so no one used it. And so it didn't even work. So whenever you put in something, it might seem great if you're, you know, if you're employed and you've got your computer set up there every day and it looks great, but check it on your phone, <laughs> see if it works yeah. there, because if it works there, it'll work everywhere else. And that's, I think that's the, when you're thinking about designing those back office solutions, you want control, you want, you want to be able to have control, you want to have ease, you need to have it so it works for you that's there's nothing worse than trying to put a system in place that just it takes more effort than it's worth so um yeah that's my kind of that's my two cents on the no i'm I'm totally with you on that it's it's look the big players that are out there as well like you know whatever we say about them they've thought some of this stuff through and i'm talking about security i'm talking about um reliability and again, I'm talking about minimizing risk. It's like if something goes wrong or somebody does something and it was an email and then they try to delete it, have you got like organizational ability to look at email retention and make sure tracks haven't been covered? You might go, that doesn't happen. It does. Like, and not just like at charity level, church level. I've 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 done an investigation with somebody where um a thread about some money that had been spent had been deleted but it was all in the uh it all it was all retained and there was there was a list and it kind of like proved things and it doesn't happen often but like actually we need we need to be thinking about you know what what this stops happening and what this saves us from by having these things right and in place and you know that comes back down to the, the governance aspect of what we do just and these things these days, they are relatively cheap. And, you know, so any expense, I know when you're starting up that any expense seems like a lot of expense, but it's what it saves you in the future. That's that. That's the main thing. And yeah, don't, don't tie yourself into like one ecosystem. It's like, oh, this only works on Android. This only works on um, uh, Apple devices. No, pick the, the big players are doing stuff that works across everything. Mobile first approach is absolutely essential. Um, in this day and age, especially if you want, you know, live and with volunteers, people to be able to access it, use it. And also the big, the big names <laughs> they're using elsewhere. So they're yes. familiar with it and you lower the barrier to entry. That's the big thing, isn't it? It's like making sure that people understand what they're, what they're looking at. So, you know, there's, I, I've seen church specific software and sometimes it, it looks great. And I know, cause it's got church in the title, you know, we want to use it, but everyone's like, ah, oh, it's another thing and I, I'm not on board with it and what do I do? Like actually using stuff that people are familiar with, finding out, you know, go go round. If, you know, if you've got a team of 10 and nine of them say we all use Google, then you're probably like, go, might be a good bet. If, if all of them say we use Microsoft stuff already and we're really familiar with it, it'd be daft not to. Do you know what I mean? It's that, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that's a good, it's a good place to start. Look at what people are already using, what people are already familiar with. Don't pick niche stuff. Um, like you said about that app, that spreadsheet thing. It's like, you know, you pick something niche, it might well do the job, but it just doesn't work. 
So yeah, yeah let, let's use stuff that people use and make it easy for them, especially when they're volunteers. Oh, please make the light the load light for volunteers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. that you know they're, they're giving their time, they're giving their resource, and they want to be involved. Don't give them something else. It's like you know, let's make it easy. Um, so yeah, that's. Yeah, well, that seems like a good place. That seems like a good place to stop for me. Uh, you know, we've kind of gone through the 101 of running uh, a church as a charity. Um, and so, Lee, thank you so much for your time, as always, today. I, I do appreciate I mean, it, seem, it seems like, I know this seems like a dry subject, and it might just be one of those reminders to us of going, no, this is why we do it. I think that's the thing. Takeaway from today is this is why we document this is why we do things well, because actually we're above reproach and we want people to see us as doing what we say we will do. That's that's the, that's the takeaway for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, brilliant. All right. Well, thank you, Lee, as always. And I will see you next week for an, another podcast. What will, what will it be? We have no idea, but we will. Uh, we... It'll be post Easter. It's like, like, let's have a look. Should we start planning Christmas? Let's do it. Brilliant. OK. <laughs> All right. I will see you next week. Cheers. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. And don't forget that you can send in your thoughts, comments, uh, discussions for whatever we've talked about. Uh, just drop us an email, podcast at thinking.church, and we'd love to be able to read it out on the show. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast next week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we will see you soon. Bye for now.